Hi, and welcome to the Deep End Conversations in the Global Talent Pool. I'm Jeff Dubisky, Workforce Logic's Chief Solutions Officer, uh, and also Chief Antagonist at times around uh, talent and all things people. <laughs> Today, we have Chad Johnson joining us, Chief Procurement Officer from Humana. Chad, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. I appreciate you having me, Jeff. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. That's great to see you again. We've had an opportunity in the past to, to work through a number of things. And uh, of course, uh, hot and heavy and in the midst of uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID and in the middle of <laughs> yeah. COVID as well has always been the issues around talent. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, has been very interesting, I think, in the landscape of what's been happening, uh, especially in the extended workforce, is the intersection now of the procurement or supply chain uh, executives, uh, the human resource executives, legal, and really taking a look at what the business aspirations are and fundamentally uh, how you get that done in the marketplace. What are some of the things that you're seeing in the landscape that are both uh, hurdles for you as well as maybe things that have excited you uh, as you take a look at what 21 will bring? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, everyone's in the market for, for great talent. Um, you know, they want a, a clean onboarding, offboarding process. They want to make sure that the uh, background checks and the appropriate controls are in place. And then the business management occurs uh, post-onboarding. That associate may have a great experience on their side. It's not all about, it's not all about Humana. Uh, some, of the, some of the things that excite, excite me are the, uh, you know, I see recruitment going uh, from local to national to global really, really quickly. Um, you know, sometimes there was a propensity to have roles in the office, uh, physically located a certain location. Uh, that's that's changing rapidly, uh, as you may know. So I think that's, that's been a plus on the COVID side. Um, uh, from a hurdle perspective, you know, I, I can only speak for myself. I, I still think we're, we're getting through the, uh, the systems integration of a VMS. We're getting that stood up, getting the taxonomy correct, getting the onboarding, offboarding, all the processes um, laid out and clean. So that's 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 a hurdle. It continues to change as government regs change. So, um, you know, more, more to come on that, that front. But that's definitely something we're still working on actively at Humana. No, that's great. I, I know, uh, obviously, sort of a boundaryless procurement process or boundaryless recruitment process, depending on the lens we're looking at, has really come of age yeah, now. Right. Uh, finally, I guess, a testimony to things that have been said, how much work can be done outside the brick and mortar and, and done uh, uh, remotely, virtually. As you take a look at that, uh, how does that maybe change either the uh, investigation of a supplier or a supply opportunity that you have, number one? And number two, if I think about some of the things that tended to uh, uh, increase the total cost of ownership on delivery was typical T&E. Uh, and, and the third thing being, of course, where do you put all those people and potentially those teams um, if they were arriving? So, you know, how is that impacting your go forward basis um, and even some of your uh, 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 strategies around the procurement channel? Yeah, it's a good question. On the supplier front, I mean, we're, we're like any, any big company. We're not, we're not looking to add suppliers without a purpose uh, that fits your overall mission. Um, but, I mean, one of the ways we vet those suppliers is, um, you know, how, how good is their recruitment process? How, how big is the labor pool that they, they have underneath them? What kind of vetting do they do? <clears throat> how quickly can they get us quality candidates in terms of SLA? That's a pretty traditional one. Um, but we're, we're stepping outside of our, our, 
their lens and looking for innovation, um, particularly in the technology space. Um, we're trying to stand up a lot of applications like like many like many are, um, and there's hard to find labor in the technical services space that knows uh, big data, big analytics, um, that understands these applications or can bring kind of niche uh, expertise to the table in terms of application development, testing and maintenance um, for some of the next gen uh, things we're working on IT software. So um, I would say those two things are so the IT component and the evolution. We're trying to find a supply base to fit that need. But also we're looking for operational suppliers that have a really good recruitment process, not just a shingle, um, but they have depth, they have a big team, they have process, they have quality control, they're running a uh, astute operation. Um, without the things, without those basic components, we're not interested. But if they have those things and they're they're good at them, uh, we're certainly uh, on in the market. That's great. That's great. So you mentioned a, a keyword as well, innovation. Uh, you're looking for for uh, your suppliers, your partners to be innovative. Um, where where do you kind of see the, especially in the technical arena, where do you see the the onus of bringing new thought leadership and ideas around, let's say, automation um, into the the solution chain? Number one, and then number two, is that really an area that you're looking to do more co-development of? Or is that something you prefer to have more ownership of um, to, to maybe reduce reliance on a particular supplier? Where, where does that balance come from? Uh, just in terms of solutioning our end product or just overall uh, human capital supply chain? Yeah, it's human capital. So let, let's think a little bit about a, a, a one that might be specific to yourselves. When you think about contact centers, right? I mean, those are yeah. those are forward facing to a, a, a big part of your member community, as well as even internally taking care mm -hmm. of, of, of uh, help desks and things of that nature. And we've seen obviously automation become a large part of that through chatbots, IVR, mm -hmm. where now all of a sudden, where we typically had a, a tiered escalation, we actually have bots doing it before it gets to a person. Um, you know, and so when I think about that, are you looking for uh, new suppliers to sort of invest and bring those solutions forward? Or are those things that actually you're bolting into your program and having them run? Mm -hmm. Um, my personal opinion, it's a combination of both, um, and it has to be that way because we, we don't have enough people, enough time, and enough access to technology to innovate in a silo. Um, but that being said, I mean, we can't outsource innovation either. So I think um, we are, we do have, and we do encourage uh, companies to bring us innovation. And I'll tell you how we're trying to, trying to tease that out is, um, by creating a specific supplier performance management function in both of those spaces you mentioned, one is uh, contact centers, the two is across the whole IT landscape. And, you know, in the past, we would sign a contract, we would turn it over the fence, they'd do their work, unless there's an issue, there wouldn't really be a lot of talk about that supplier performance. But now we're not only trying to measure the SLAs, but we're trying to map how their performance fits into our digital transformation and explain that to them. Here's what we need you to do as a supplier to get us from point A to B um, and ask for that innovative idea, those innovative ideas to be brought to the, the forefront. So we're trying to create that dialogue. We really never were doing it. We were doing it in pockets. I'm not saying we weren't, um, but we're trying to be intentional about it and, um, and bring that forward. So I, I think both is the answer. No, that's great. That's great. So if we were to, to think about, uh, 
where things have been headed. I, I, I have two kind of themes that we'd like to maybe go down the lane of. Number one was this very interesting uh, dynamic that we happen to see in the 2019, uh, 20, early 2020, where we started to see a lot of time materials or traditional staff augmentation order activity drop. And yet indirect spend had been climbing. And, and, and what we tended to find was that companies were starting to mask, I like to say mask, um, traditional time and materials under SOWs for maybe good reasons, you know, CapEx tracking, maybe poor reasons, obviating tenure limits and things of that nature. But, you know, as you take a look at, at, at some of that, what, what are some of the ways in which you're trying to maintain visibility of all of your resources and all of your spend and yet maybe create some business flexibility, uh, uh, business decision rights um, that would allow it to sort of toggle between each of those types of purchases? Mm, yeah, th th three things come to mind. I mean, there'll always be a need for a tower material hourly uh, staff um, in some form or function. I think you would agree with that. But um, the second thing is, is when we have a statement of work, we want those details. We want that hourly breakout, at least the hourly rates. We want to know the people working on the account. We want to track that through the VMS. But the caveat there being, if it is a statement of work, it has to lead to an outcome. Or um, what's the what's the tangible uh, delivery that this SOW is meant to engage or deliver, I should say. And that needs to be done over a finite period of time. So it's, you know, we're thinking six months, uh, deliver A, B, or C. Um, we get the details, we track the details, we sign off on the milestones in our system, and then the SOW gets shut down after that project's done um, versus these continuous SOWs that I need you to do application testing and maintenance as an example, um, that just go on and on and on. We're, we're, we're not a, a proponent of that. Um, we want to keep them short, sweet, to the point, with details, um, and uh, just have clarity around them. That was great. So, <clears throat> when we think a little bit about an outcome, um, and you mentioned, of course, what are the resources, the estimated hours, the costs associated with it, and then we kind of catapult over to an outcome. Um, what are some of the other tangible effects of the SLA that you're trying to work with the, the vendor on to give them visibility on? And, 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 and maybe some of those things might be um, customer SAT scores, let's say out of a contact center, or they might be um, reduction of turnover um, on a particular uh, uh, set of, of, of facilities that they're running for you. How, how are you trying to link an outcome to some of those intended consequences? Yeah, uh, we're at least sharing in them our broad goals, which are, um, it starts with earnings per share, NPS, member growth. I mean, that's a broad broad goals at the macro level. Um, but in order to do that, and retention is a part of it, that, I mean, a lot of what we're trying to do is go into the home and understand uh, when we enter someone's home in the Medicare, Medicaid arena, what their uh, health picture looks like. Um, what they need as a member uh, to live their best life in terms of um, you know, health outcomes, appointments, medication, et cetera, all based on a clinical diagnosis. So um, we want to have, from a high, the highest level, we want to understand the percent of our population that we have that data available in a cloud application, sharing across their business units, are able to deliver 
uh, those insights to our members. And that's really kind of a guidepost. A, do we, is the data there? And two, how many people uh, are getting, getting the insights from that information? And, and that's what we're continually working on. And then you hear things like interoperable data and sharing data across applications. That's essentially what it is. So, so if I heard you correctly, and, and, and what a difference from a number of years ago. So, so some of the key drivers that you're trying to underpin EPS, NPS, and member growth. Correct. And, 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 you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's great to hear that because obviously that's alignment of your business strategy to the goals of these, of these partners. And instead of just the typical, you know, send out a bid and choose the, the, uh, the lowest cost provider. Um, being able to achieve, I guess, some of those more lofty or, or visible goals significantly um, would drive the person's solution, the company's solution, rather than just a cost profile. Correct. Yeah, yeah we're all about uh, value and quality. I mean, those are the two things. I mean, we're not looking for the cheapest. We're not looking for the most expensive, obviously, unless there's a need. But uh, the quality components the equal, uh, equal weight in my mind, if sure. not more in many of these cases. So, so thinking about spend uh, and pivoting to the next theme is that oftentimes, and I, I think going back now a number of years that I've been in, in the industry, uh, especially in the U.S. when we talk about diversity spend, whether you're under or underneath uh, an OFCCP uh, uh, contract or whatever your goals are, talk a lot about diversity spend. And usually there's, there's at least a little bit of a disconnect between the actual just expenditure of the dollars to a particular uh, um, certified entity versus now really the, the, the narrative in the political landscape and the uh, human resource landscape and even in the city landscapes is, is diversity of people, diversity of, of, of obviously their demographics, of their thought, their background. And so, you know, where are you today in thinking a little bit about diversity, not so much as a carve out, but maybe as a differentiator and, and, and how you bring in the best available talent? That's a great question. So we started with getting clean reporting on our diverse suppliers, getting your tier two program up and running, which is simply um, if we spend money with entity A, we want to know what spend impact that has downstream to diverse suppliers. So we've got that program up and running, mental protege program up and running. So I feel like we can have good reporting and we're also tracking <clears throat> inclusion and diversity statistics internally, obviously, um, with our own W2 associates. But the next evolution is exactly what you said, is to sit down and innovate and say, here's the goal that we have, which we want our workforce to be comprised of uh, the same demographic of the members we serve, so our, our customers. Um, and we have those statistics, and that's our ultimate goal. Um, do an analysis on where we are from today and see if we can make a path to get to uh, that future state and start to track it. Because I think that's a big component. We haven't kicked off that plan in that program. I mean, we've done the basics, the foundation, the reporting, the tier two, mental protege program. We're presenting our statistics to our CEO and his inclusion and diversity team. But I, I do think what you just mentioned around tracking uh, those diversity statistics in your uh, contingent labor force is the next thing. Not only to say we're looking for suppliers that have that diversity accreditation, but what is the composite? And that's where um, rubber really hits the road in a lot of respects. And great to hear that you actually are reporting it out to your CEO. I think that uh, uh, organizations 
uh, have uh, presented frustration about the fact that that uh, there's not a lot of teeth and visibility in some of these programs. And so the fact that you're presenting to the CEO is great. Uh, I'd like to dig into one component you mentioned there, which I think, again, harkens back to 20 plus years ago when when a lot of this started, uh, uh, it, when you have a, uh, a mentor-protege program. Um, it seems yeah. like a lot of organizations tend to think that that um, diverse suppliers are now, you know, these large multi-billion organizations that uh, that yeah. that that no longer have what previously were problems with smaller localized access to capital, navigating an organization. What are some of the key tenants of the the um, uh, mentor protege program, and 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 how do you deploy that? Yeah, great question. So we're in, we, this is the second round of the program. So we we, we pick, uh, we get nominations from across the business. We pick approximately six suppliers. Uh, we take them through a 12-week 12 uh, 12 program. And through those 12 weeks, they're paired with a, a, a mentor, and they meet monthly. And it's really open forum on whatever they want to talk about, whether it's a business model, um, Humana, any issues they have, et cetera. And it's, it's someone that Kind of fits in their genre but after that i mean uh, every two weeks we come in and then we have finance present like how, what's the capital markets look like how do you get capital um you know how to set up your back-end operations how to do your reporting marketing it um et cetera et cetera et cetera we, we bring in uh, all of our different business units and they talk about what they're seeing in the medicare market medicaid markets etc so we give them a full open kimono to humana uh, not only Humana, but how to set up their business um, and help them grow in all those different lanes, whether it's marketing, finance, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good program. And they present their business model to us, and we give their feedback on what we see working, not working. Um, they typically start with procurement, and um, it's a friendly audience. But the, the good thing in procurement is I think we've heard sales pitches, hundreds of them, more than probably anyone in the company. And we're able to give them feedback. Hey, this is what I think will resonate with a Fortune 50. Here's what I'm thinking about and looking for when I'm uh, looking for pitches from, from companies in your space. Here's things to think about. Let's, do you agree, not agree? Let's build a path. So it's a really open dialogue and they get access to senior execs um, throughout that time period. That, that's that, that's fantastic. And when you think about the fact that along with that type of programming, being a supplier and having your logo as part of their portfolio is a, is a big lift. So congratulations. That's that's wonderful. Um, so when we think a little bit about uh, wrapping all of this up, um, and this is a discussion you and I have, have had a little bit in the past and, and whether it's driving yeah. to outcome or the thought of total cost of ownership. Um, you know, I find it interesting in years past when I've been in, in various different roles with a few different companies um, that, you know, the RFP comes out and there's that inspirational thought that's represented on that paper. And then we have a lot of stuff that goes on be in between negotiations between the line, what is possible, what isn't possible. And ultimately we drive yeah. to a price. Then a lot of times what happens though, and you even mentioned it earlier about some of those ongoing things, new change orders, scope creep, depending on who drives the scope creep. And ultimately we, we end up somewhere you know, in the future at a number that's significantly greater than what we originally contracted for. And yet also what were the other bids that maybe included some of those additional pieces that were now creep or, or change orders? It's a long way around to asking a question of, of how, how do you rein in 
sort of total cost of ownership, specifically with accountability with your category manager uh, and the business itself that's that's consuming or driving the particular service or outcome. Um, and, and, and how do you see that sort of adapting over time to get better at understanding when bids come in, what some of that variability will be, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to arrive at total cost? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, one of the things that uh, I think we have notoriously been bad at is writing a clear scope of work, uh, meaning uh, what, do, what do we want um, from the market specifically? Um, not not to go to market with an idea or we want to go from point A to point B in 12 weeks and what's it going to take? Here's some basic thoughts. So we've done a number of things to kind of get better at writing scopes. I mean, we trained our teams. We've done a proof of concept with a tool called globality which is a it's a it's got a lot to ai engine but the short of it is it's really good at writing consistent scopes and using uh, consistent uh, you know ai to help you fill out different pieces of a scope of work document so i think that's the main thing and then sitting down and being transparent like here's here's what we're trying to do here's our scope what are we missing thinking that through and then I think the last thing is references, doing business with the people that you can trust and, you know, looking at it for the long term and not as a transaction um, would be would be things we're thinking about. That's great. That's great. So uh, final question, so to speak, then um, you mentioned a couple of times that uh, you're in the midst of your, of your stand up and deployment of, of your VMS. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. SIA published a statistic uh, in 2020 that about 72 percent of uh, that year's VMS awards were to first generation programs. Now, mm -hmm. now you're 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 in a second gen for sure. Um, when you think a little bit about those that have just procured and are looking over the time horizon in the next three to five years, uh, what would maybe be the one or two things that uh, you learned in your transition from uh, VMS to VMS um, and the expansion really of that footprint uh, to to the audience? Uh, another good question. Um, I, I would think two things. Um, you, get, you have to get your taxonomy correct, and you have to get your suppliers mapped to that taxonomy. You have to get, um, you know, clean, clean descriptions, clean rates. You have to get that, that master data sorted out on your side. There's no solution that's going to do that for you. And if you don't do it, I mean, you're in a, you're in a situation that you're going to regret. Um, so that took a lot of money and effort on our our side. Um, the second thing is the solutions. Uh, you may or may not agree. They come with a um, they come with the standard process flow, um, but they're not going to map your current process or your future process to them easily. You have to do that work. You have to sit down with some people that know how the solution works, where you want to go in the future, and map those things over. Uh, in the design phase, um, it's not going to do it on its own. Every company has some unique A, B, and C, D process that they're doing. Uh, you have to take the time to map it out, test it, make sure it can fit in their application, make sure those use cases are adaptable to the application you're looking to uh, to select. And it's, that's work, that's change management, that's design, that's testing. Those two things like the process mapping, the process design, the process testing, and the data first, second, third gen, whatever tools you're picking, they're always going to be those issues to solve. No, and I appreciate that. I, I think a lot of times we try to think that within the tech, 
there's just this lofty silver bullet that 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 comes out and yet what you're explaining is just that tedious get it right on the first shot data hygiene aligning with the business and then more importantly and as you're you're saying it's it's not once the vendor is chosen and the contract is signed that you know someone walks away and takes that hat off that's when the actual heavy lift begins until you are up and running so Chad, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your insight and uh, and open transparency about what's going on. Best of luck to you as you continue to deploy not only your VMS, uh, but your new category alignment strategy. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure. My pleasure.